You're listening to the Red Wave Report, the number one rated Fresno State podcast, the official free podcast of thebarkboard.com. The thoughts and opinions are that of the show hosts and in no way reflect the thoughts and opinions of the university. Welcome back, everyone, to another edition of the Red Wave Report. I am Lucio Arik, joined by the publisher of the Barkboard, Mr. Jackson Moore, who is still out on injured reserve with his uh, cold <laughs> here. So, Jackson, how are you doing today? I'm doing, Lucio, a little bit better, and I'm just glad to uh, hit, hit this time of year with the bye week where I can uh, recoup a little bit and not be too overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you've, you've, you've probably caught something that's been going around a little bit, so it makes things... Uh, a little more difficult for you to kind of get around, doesn't it, Jackson? Yeah, hopefully I sound a little bit better than last week. I think I'm I'm getting there, but uh, yeah, the a road game and the bye week should make it a little easier. Yeah, I mean the the Bulldogs come back from a trip to uh, New Mexico State, uh, where they they seem to have gone out and took care of business, uh, and now they'll get another bye week to kind of lick their wounds a little bit as they head into the deeper part of the Mountain West uh, play. But that's it, Jackson. No more buys. No more time to 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 rest. What it is now, it, it it's going to be right. They're going to have to face all these uh, opponents back to back with no more breaks in between. Yeah, it's a little unusual, especially in a season where you get two bye weeks. None of them are going to come in conference play. They wrap up non-conference going to New Mexico State and getting that win on Saturday. They'll have one extra week off, and then it's eight straight games through Mountain West play. And uh, that'll include two Fridays as well, two short weeks down the road. But the one benefit of this bye week in particular when it comes to uh, conference play is that the opener at Air Force that's a team that you want all the time you can get to prepare for. And uh, they have that unique option offense. It's something that Fresno State does not basically see against anyone else. <laughs> and the, this coaching staff under Jeff Tedford has not seen Air Force yet either. Uh, with the divisions, they haven't played the last two years. So uh, this will give them two full weeks to get ready for that uh, interesting offense. And, uh, I mean, it's just a common theme when you play a team that has something different about it. Uh, you can get caught off guard on a short week, but you can usually come in looking pretty impressive if you have an extra time to prepare. Yeah, so it's it's uh, it, it's going to work in their favor right now, at least, to try and get the rest of this team going and, and getting ready. Uh, I mean, you saw the emergence of, of some of these young guys, one who's been out on an injury for quite some time uh, in Amoria Edwards, and he turned in quite a performance, didn't he, Jackson? And it looks like he's he's ready to go off of his injury. Yeah, I mean, Edwards was a big, I mean, I think I've expected whenever Edwards was going to get on the field, he was going to do something like that, even though uh, we haven't really seen him much in practice. Of course, he only made it a couple weeks into his true freshman fall camp last year, and this year he missed all of fall camp with a foot injury again. Uh, He's been rehabbing essentially all season long, but we knew, we've seen him in high school, the, the recruiting resume that he put up, and the flashes that he did make when he was healthy in practice that he had this in his arsenal whenever he'd get on the field. And the Bulldogs threw 20 passes in this 30-17 to 17 win over New Mexico State, and Edwards caught eight of them. <laughs> and he, uh, again, the, the total passing numbers weren't impressive, but he caught 70 of the 147 yards that went in the passing game as well. Uh, so, I mean, really, Amore Edwards, the, big, the one big thing that happened in the passing game in this game, and you anticipate that he's probably going to move up the depth chart and take a lot more of the reps going forward. 
uh, not just his eight catches and 70 yards. He had uh, quite a few impressive ones. I recall a, a third and long. He jumps in the air, grabs it, gets that foot in bounds. I mean, those are the kinds of things that he does that we haven't seen from some of the other receivers that have uh, gotten the playing time so far. Now, with the emergence of Edwards, this should, should go a long way with uh, with helping Jorge Reina really settle in. Now that he's got a target uh, that he can count on to go up and grab that ball uh, whenever he needs to, uh, you know, more of that clutch type receiver. Like you said, we haven't really seen much of that this this season so far. Uh, they've been really trying to figure out, you know, who's going to step up as the wide the wide receivers for Fresno State. But it, it looks like. Um, Edwards came into this game and, and pretty much made a statement, right, Jackson? He just he said, "Here I am, come stop me." Uh, yeah, exactly. And I think um, you know Zane Pope has kind of carried that possession receiver flag to this point. He had 15 catches going into the game, but I don't think it's any coincidence that Edwards caught eight and Pope caught three. Um, especially, you know, unfortunate for Pope, but he had his second fumble in two weeks, and it looked like his opportunities diminished uh, significantly from that point and here comes Edwards to step right in and take advantage of those opportunities um, I mean yeah there wasn't much going for the dogs passing wise except for Edwards and uh, yeah I definitely anticipate that he's going to be a big part of the, the receiving rotation you, know, you consider Chris Coleman moving to cornerback uh, Carrick Wheatfall falling to another injury again you know, if they reduce Pope's play a little bit or if that was just kind of a, a quick reaction. But nevertheless, it looks like that receiver group got a little bit thinner on Saturday and perfect timing for Edwards to step into it. Yeah, he definitely made his statement. But another guy um, that, you know, we've we've already seen some action from him this season. And, uh, you know, I've always been been telling you why haven't they used him more and that's Jalen Cropper. I mean, it seems like the only thing we see Cropper uh, really doing is that end around sweep. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, he's averaging he was averaging nine yards per carry coming into this into this game on that. And then he breaks a big one, right, Jackson? I mean, <laughs> why don't they use Cropper more uh, than just that? Yeah, you know, I think we've been kind of waiting for that big one to break and. It's been crazy because, as you mentioned, uh, he was somewhere around nine yards per carry going into the game with that running play, and it's not like it's 19 yards here and zero yards there. Like, it always goes for yards. I think the worst sweep of the season has been about seven yards, and uh, even Darion Grimm got a couple of them last game. But this was a matchup where Cropper, you know, with his speed and athleticism, that he was going to be on a different level than some of those New Mexico State defenders and Boom, he goes for 79 yards for a touchdown. And at the time, it just kind of felt like business as usual for Fresno State against New Mexico State. But once he got to the end of that game, winning 30-17, to 17, you know, a play like that, a play like Waylon Freeze, 91-yard interception return, those were basically the difference when you boil down to it because Fresno State's offense really kind of lost its way in the second half. But Big, you know, it was big for Cropper to do what he did five carries for 118 yards overall. He got one swing pass, which was basically just a, a different version of getting him the ball <laughs> in a, a sweep <laughs> scenario, and he took that for 14 yards. So uh, he has a reception on the board in this game, but yeah, it would be nice to see him get the ball maybe downfield a little bit more. But and this sweep play is was basically the Bulldogs' best weapon of the day. Uh, he went for 79 yards. He went again for 25 yards. 
Graham went for 18 yards, and those were Fresno State's three best plays of the day, all that sweet play. I mean, I can't imagine they can go to it too frequently, but they ran it about seven, eight times, I guess, in this game. And there's also some variations where the receiver doesn't get the ball and Jorge will keep it or a running back can get it. But, I mean, this was a game that wasn't very impressive by the Bulldogs' offense at the end of the day. And that one concept play at Cropper's speed basically got it going. Yeah, and and you can see see the talent of Cropper – you know, with with the wide receivers kind of kind of being shifted around a little bit. You know, I mean, you mentioned Coleman <clears throat> shifted back to the defensive back. Do you do you anticipate maybe more of a role for 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 him as as things start to progress? You know, we might start to see a cropper going out for passes. You know, just trying to develop a little bit more chemistry in that wide receiver group. Well, I'm curious to see if they. To this point, they've really rotated the receivers a lot. And, you know, it's a little bit different from what we're used to, where last year it felt like Keyshawn Johnson and Jameer Jordan were basically on the field every play. Uh, I mean, this team instead is really based off personnel groupings. Uh, You see just two or three receivers and or tight ends that come onto the field off and on. I mean, it's not. it looks like a lot of the plays are designed specifically for certain players in the playbook. And so I'm curious to see if maybe they tighten that up a little bit, if they branch out. You can understand maybe guys like Jalen Cropper, Jamal Glasby, and Carrick Weedfall, they may not have the full playbook ready for them. They're maybe still learning some of that stuff, and it's just a little bit easier if you have a guy that's still learning to maybe have a couple sweet plays in there just for him to focus on. Um, so hopefully with this bye week and a little more trust and experience that that'll work out for some of those guys. And again, that you're, there's all been a whole lot of receivers. Uh, I mean, only 20 completions on Saturday, but, uh, six different receivers caught them and a couple other guys didn't get involved. So still kind of a lot to figure out, but I think you leave these first four games realizing Amore Edwards is definitely one of your guys. Uh, Darion Grimm has been solid. And Jalen Cropper as well. You need to get him involved, and uh, I wouldn't mind at all if they kind of narrow down to those three. Or if, you know, Jamal Glasby has been, as a true freshman, had opportunities but hasn't put up many numbers. Perhaps they consider that four-game redshirt for him. That would reduce things a little bit more. And then Zane Pope and Carrick Wheatfall have been solid as well. So you know, a big group, but. You either got to narrow things down or it's just going to be this kind of widespread all season long. And that might be contributing to some of the inconsistencies even. Yeah. And the things are going to, uh, it, 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 you know, if they, if they don't get it kind of settled in, it's, it's going to be more of the same, a lot of the same rotation. We're going to see a lot of wide receivers going in and out. It's kind of, you know, it's good to have that kind of depth, but at the same time, it's kind of hard for them to get in, into any kind of rhythm when you're always shifting out the wide receivers all the time. Um, but one of the receivers that you had mentioned earlier, Coleman, switched back to def- to defense, and how big was that for the Bulldogs to make that move to help solidify a little bit of those defensive backs? Yeah, that was huge. And um, you know, Coleman has played so well at receiver. It's something I didn't even really think about even being an option going into this game, but... Chris Coleman was originally recruited to be a defensive back, particularly a cornerback. And what happened was that he got injured before his first fall camp, or they thought he was going to play right away, whether it be 
cornerback, receiver, or on kick returns back in 2017. They thought he was going to do something. And while he was hurt, uh, Waylon Free and Chris Gaston both kind of emerged as cornerbacks, and they realized, well, if there's two guys, both in his class, that are better at corner, we need to move him <laughs> to receiver, and which turned out to be a, a good deal for him. He had a huge catch against Toledo last year, but with all the seniors, he didn't get a whole lot of reps, and we've seen him kind of emerge at receiver this year with the USC game, all the big catches he made in that one, but the Bulldogs are hurting at cornerback right now. And as we mentioned, Free being one of those guys, he's now at safety. And Gaston, the other, is injured and out for an extended period of time. Uh, the Bulldogs do have Jaron Bryant at uh, at cornerback. But that other side has been just a revolving door of injuries, first being Gaston, then true freshman Deshaun Ruffin. And then it was going to be true freshman Randy Jordan that was expected to come in. He replaced Ruffin against Sacramento State. And, I mean, that's kind of a, a nerve-wracking situation just to have the true freshman, a secondary true freshman at that play that position. So for Chris Coleman, even a guy that hasn't played much quarterback at the college level, probably a little more confident and a little more comfortable in there. And he played solid. I mean, the stats don't do much justice. He only had three tackles. You don't, I mean, a lot of times you don't get a lot of tackles at cornerback, but this was a matchup where New Mexico State wanted to throw it a lot, which they did. They threw it 46 times, and if you've got a, a bad hole at cornerback, that could hurt you and burn you, and Coleman held things down at cornerback. And it's also really exciting as well because if he's solid there, I mean, Jaron Bryant graduates after this season. Coleman could be a three-year starter at corner going forward. So, I mean, a, a smart move for Fresno State, and – they even played him one snap at receiver. I sure hope he gets involved in the offense still if he makes this move, but uh, he could potentially be a, a really reliable corner if he can keep playing like that. I mean, when was the last time Fresno State had a two-way player? I mean, it's been it's been a while. Um, I, I can't even remember the last player who who played both sides of the ball. Is that something that they would even entertain? Well, they they gave him one snap at receiver last game, and you know, they when I. I interviewed uh, Coleman coming out of high school, and that was the plan that he said. They said they were going to have him basically sit in with the meetings and be a cornerback, all the things that a normal cornerback would do, but they'd have a handful of packages for him on offense to go practice. Uh, as I was mentioning earlier with those other the rotations at receiver where it seems like certain plays are only for certain players, he would have that kind of role, I, I would suppose, but it gets a little bit harder when you get into game and implementing it. As we saw, uh, Coleman didn't get that one snap, I believe, till late in the game. So it is hard to work guys in and just the fatigue of everything. But I would not be surprised at all for them to, to have some kind of role. We've seen, I mean, Josh Hokett to a lesser extent. He was at linebacker. They moved to running back right before Coach Tedford got here, and they've gone back and forth there. But um, Coleman could definitely have a – some sort of limited role on offense while playing corner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they they continue to develop uh, Cole, Coleman's involvement on this uh, offense and defense uh, to see you know how they're going to use his talent moving forward. You got that kind of a talent to play both sides of the ball. One night use it, but you kind of have to be careful there that you're not overusing him. Um, you know, like you said, you've got certain plays that are for certain players. Other teams are going to start to pick up on that. 
<laughs> when when you see that player come <laughs> in on a certain play, you know it's going to go to him. So it's going to be it's going to start getting harder and harder as the season moves on. But I I have a feeling that the coaches are continuing to show a certain look because they have other plays in their back pocket ready for certain situations. So we'll, we'll see that kind of develop as things move forward in the season. Kind of, you, you're kind of getting the same feeling, right, Jackson? The, the, at some point, they're going to show you the same look and give you a different kind of a play. Yeah, you, you and we've to. seen that before. Um, you know, the the Josh Hokett pass being one of them. They've, I mean, we haven't seen it as much. It, he they ran it one time against Sacramento State, of course, against Minnesota, against the the FCS teams the last couple of years. They they varied it in different ways each time they ran it. Um, and again with the cropper end around being one of those big plays we saw against USC, the cropper end around turned out to be a fake and the reverse to Cam Sutton, who went about 25 yards as a tight end. So, you know, I think they're going to, once this offense settles down a little bit, they've got a lot of those variations in their back pockets. But right now it's been a bit of a struggle just to get the basic offense going. Uh, the offensive line has had a rough time protecting Jorge Reyna as well as keeping the running game going. Uh, both Hokett and Rivers had pretty pedestrian numbers against a pretty bad New Mexico State defense. So I think it's a little bit of both. They need to, I mean, offensively, they've got to get the basics down at the line of scrimmage. And then you've still got a lot of newish players that are kind of breaking in. And it just hasn't quite all come together. But we've seen flashes here and there of what they're capable of. But the full package has still got a ways to go, which is a little bit concerning with conference play so close. Yeah, and and one of the biggest concerns are is of course that offensive line Jackson and that offensive line continues to struggle uh this season which if you start thinking about it you can start to figure out that the run game is suffering quite a bit and it's in large part due to this to this offensive line. Can they get it figured out before they start hitting into the the heart of the Mountain West Conference. Well, the tough thing right now is with Natane Muti being out. Uh, he was unable to play against New Mexico State, and it's sounding like you know, from several sources out there that it's probably going to be quite a while if for when he comes back, which is a, a huge blow to this Bulldog offensive line. Uh, before, you knew you at least had Cyrus Tuatelli at right tackle and Muti at left guard, and you hope that the the remainder of the team or the of the line was going to be able to hold their own next to those guys, and now you've just got Tuatelli and a, a bunch of new guys, uh, Dante Bull at left tackle, Q Woodley's been your left guard, or excuse me, the, your right guard, uh, Nick Abu Defi played left guard with Muti out, who uh, Abu Defi has also played some left tackle when Bull missed the previous week, and Matt Smith, the the bit of an undersized center there, um, you know that group just hasn't shown a whole lot yet you know, even with Muti in there were some issues and it felt like it got a little worse against New Mexico State uh, the offense just not able to get going against the Aggies particularly in the second half uh, just two field goals on the scoreboard and one of those was basically set up by a, a turnover from the defense so uh, I mean that was a, an Aggie defense that ranks as one of the worst in the country uh, the Bulldogs should have been able to be been a lot more productive against them but for me, it starts with the O-line. Even with Jorge Reyna, um, his completion percentages have been uh, acceptable. He's been above 60% each of the last three games in the mid-60s. And you figure in he throws quite a few balls away as well. He does have a few misfires, but 
I think a lot of that is attributed to the offensive line allowing some pressure to get to him. He's not able to set his feet, not able to make all his reads that he wants to make. And there's just a, a bit of a an uneasiness with that offense from my mind. And it's odd to say when they've put up 30 points basically every week so far, but uh, I think it starts with the O-line. And with Muti out, that's really concerning for me. Uh, so we'll see if they get some of that stuff figured out in the bye week because it didn't look good on Saturday. No, and it hasn't looked good. Uh, I mean, there's been continuous struggles. Um, I'm starting to wonder what what's wrong with uh, with Rivers. Is there an injury we don't know about? But then the more I think about it, this offensive line is continuing to struggle more and more, uh, which is leading to the uh, the lack of yardage by by Rivers. I mean, there's only so much Rivers can do if there's no hole for him to run through, um, and he's he's having a hard time with this offensive line really, really struggling right now. Um, and so hopefully they'll start to kind of figure some things out, maybe shift some people around and, and get them all on the same page just in time for, for the Mountain West play. This is where that buy comes in handy, right, Jackson? They, they've got a little bit, another week to try and figure this offensive line out. But is it kind of like too little too late kind of a thing going on right now <laughs> do they have the pieces in order to get this corrected yeah that's the question i don't think there's a whole lot of guys left that they haven't tried yet uh, the bulldogs have nick abs who started a few games last year and ultimately was replaced in the starting lineup uh, he's now a senior perhaps he can give them some sort of boost uh, jace puamatu who would be a guard uh, he missed all of fall camp with an injury he's only a redshirt freshman but he was thought to be a serious competitor to start this year, so maybe this bye week gives him a chance to kind of restart a competition with someone. Uh, they've got Alex Akinburu at uh, tackle, who is a graduate transfer from UCLA. Uh, we haven't seen much of him yet, so those are, are kind of your utility options. And uh, perhaps Tyrone Sampson as well. He's your other second teamer at, at a center. Uh, I mean, they have a few options, but nothing tells me you know, I'm not screaming for any of those guys to replace the starters ahead of them, if you know what I mean. There's, they're all unproven guys, and so uh, they may have to get creative in this bye week and kind of figure that out. But, yeah, it's a, a rough predicament because we've seen the talent the Bulldogs have at receiver. Uh, obviously, the running backs and tight ends, there's a lot of talent. And uh, Reyna didn't have the best game statistically against New Mexico State, but I think he's shown that when all the parts around him are moving, that he usually produces as well. So it all comes down to that offensive line for me. And uh, if they can't get it done, it could be a rough Mountain West run here in the next two months. But I have been pretty impressed with the defense. I don't know if they're as good as last year to, to carry this team around, but they should give the offense some help if the, it takes a few more weeks to get this all figured out. Yeah, and one of those players that you had mentioned that I'm 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 a little bit um still wondering what's happened to this player. Tyrone Sampson came in with a lot uh you know, came in as a four-star recruit, I I believe, right? Um and really you know, hasn't emerged up until this point. So what's going on with that whole situation? I think it's two parts. Um, one is, you know, he's still a redshirt freshman, and it's tough for offensive linemen to kind of break into that lineup as a redshirt freshman. Uh, I believe the Bulldogs right now are working with a senior 
two juniors and two redshirt sophomores. So he, all the starters are a bit older than him and a bit more experienced than him. But the other part is that it's the center position as well. Um, you know, in general, there's a lot more responsibility that goes into that position. But I think Coach Grubb has a added emphasis on that position. It takes it uh, to a, another level to an extent. You've got to have a really high football IQ. You've got to be a, a real leader and have a command of the offensive line. And that's how Matt Smith, who was previously a walk-on, has beaten out a four-star recruit at that position. Uh, Smith, I think the biggest testament to Smith was on Saturday with Muti out. Matt Smith was the team captain who replaced Muti. And that's as a junior, as a former walk-on, as a guy that probably not many fans knew before the season started. Uh, he's got all the intangibles that Coach Grubb is looking for in that position. He doesn't quite have the physicality that Samson has. So we'll see if you know, if any of those issues are part of the offensive line struggles or maybe Samson gets a shot. But when it comes to the other things that they're looking for at that position, I mean, part of it is Samson just being a little bit young and needing to mature some more. But the other part is there's a guy in there that has a lot of respect and it may take those two years for uh, Smith to be a junior and senior before Samson kind of takes over after that. Yeah, and so you know he'll have his opportunity uh, once things are around. I was just surprised I, I hadn't heard much of him, and he's just been kind of in the shadows, uh, so to speak, uh, waiting for his turn. Um, but another player who had a big game this past game, uh, Levell Bailey Jackson. Uh, I believe this was one of the players that you kind of mentioned uh, that keyed in that really had a big game. Um, you know, how's how's he figuring into this uh, into this defense? Yeah, it's been interesting because he started against Minnesota and then we barely saw him at all against Sacramento State. And it's part of what Fresno State's decided to do defensively. They've got this 3-4 defense package that, depending on the opponent, that they'll break that out. Um, and basically, uh, Bailey, Lavelle Bailey is the fourth linebacker. So if the Bulldogs stay in their typical 4-3 look, he just doesn't play a whole lot. As we saw against Sacramento State, he was barely out there at all. But in this game, they go to the 3-4, and he's out there basically the whole game. Uh, he comes up with uh, seven tackles, but a team-high two tackles for loss. And that's becoming a bit of a trend. He got in the backfield against Minnesota as well. I believe he had a sack. Obviously, uh, he's had to step in against USC a few times and did well there. So, I mean, this is becoming a bit of a trend. He hit 14 tackles in his two starts alone. And, uh, yes, as mentioned, he's got three tackles for loss, I believe. He's got a sack. Uh, I mean, just the guy that, if he wasn't playing as a true freshman, who's taking those snaps? I, I'm not sure. So it's been a big deal for him to step up. And really, I mean, the, the possibilities of what he can do down the road is also very exciting. But, you know, I covered him uh, through the high school process as a recruit he was a quarterback he was a power forward in basketball he just did everything athletically and I was curious to see how he was going to fit at the college level I thought maybe safety but he's a little bit undersized at linebacker right now at 6'2 200 but he's really getting the job done and I'm curious to see how his body develops as well if he puts on another 20 pounds over the next couple of years he could be really even more impressive there yeah, so he's he's really starting to come into into his own, really understanding his position. Uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to watch as the as the season progresses. 
one of the final players that you chose as a, a standout player from the past game, Waylon Free, uh, of course, very self-explanatory. Uh, I believe he's the one with the long uh, touchdown interception, correct, Jackson? Yeah, 91-yard pick six. And he came into that game with only one interception, and he got two. He came up with another pick later on. Um, I mean, obviously his best game when it comes to the big plays. But uh, it was something we've just kind of been waiting to see. Uh, Freeze played quite a bit. He put, got a lot of playing time as a redshirt freshman, and he's basically had to replace Mike Bell at safety this season. And he was kind of the talk of the offseason. They really were excited about what he was doing, all the kind of similarities he had to Bell, the playmaking ability, the ball-hawking ability, and that all came to fruition in this game. I mean, uh, Free was a pretty big-time recruit out of high school. He was once committed to USC, so it's no surprise what he's doing. But it was kind of a wait to see this kind of game from him, and he brought it. And I think we can expect to see a lot more going forward uh, of that from him. And it just was a, a kind of a wild game against New Mexico State. Uh, if you would have told me the five players we've identified in this game were going to be standouts, it would have felt odd to hear. I mean, you think about this team, they have to replace a lot from last year's team, but they're still a good group of seniors. You talk about, say, Juju Hughes, Jared Bryant, Jared Rice, uh, Jorge Reyna, obviously, Darion Grimm, but we're not talking about any of those guys. We're talking about freshmen Lavelle Bailey, Jalen Cropper, uh, Morey Edwards, sophomores uh, Chris Coleman and Waylon Free, and... It kind of gives a little bit of a different outlook at this season where some of your best players are that young. Even if this season isn't a Mountain West championship-worthy team, they could really build on this group going forward. And if they can come together and have another one of these kinds of runs, that's even more impressive with the amount of young talent they have to build on going forward too. So uh, I'll be curious to see if maybe this, this group of seniors starts to shoulder more of the load going into conference play or if we keep talking about guys like Bailey and Cropper and Edwards being the statistical leaders of this team. Yeah, I mean, the, I mean, it's a bright future for the Bulldogs uh, for us to be talking about underclassmen uh, right now. Um, you know, of course, they've, it's still, there's still a lot of season left to go, but if the trend continues, then it, it only shows that the Bulldogs are set in the future uh, and they can continue to build on the program. Uh, you know, the our key aspect that we have kind of identified is that offensive line. So if they can get that offensive line together, they should be able to make another run uh, and really uh, push for another Mountain West championship again if they can just get things uh, squared away. But, you know, they had a, a good game at at New Mexico. It, it wasn't one of those that was, whole, you know, a big one to write home about. There was a lot of big plays that happened. But f- that being said, it was kind of a lackluster performance, right, Jackson? Um, yeah. From what you saw? And, um, to clarify, because uh, this is a crazy story, make sure it's New Mexico State and not New Mexico. Because <laughs> yes. one of the players, Waylon Free, who we mentioned, had a great game. It was reported on ESPN 940 by him himself that his mom was at the University of New Mexico Stadium waiting for the game to start. <laughs> And, oh lord and so she got the call or someone some, somehow she realized she was at the wrong new mexico university and so she got in the car and drove from albuquerque to las cruces 
and missed the whole game, but uh, she got to see Waylon at the end, at least afterwards, and see her son, which is a, a hard task at this time of year for college football athletes who are attending college out of town. But unfortunately, she missed her son's two interceptions. But yeah, I just I couldn't believe that, <laughs> that story. Uh, but going to New Mexico State, though, I mean, there's a reason probably she's at New Mexico. They're, the Aggies aren't really known for their college football. I think there was only 10,000 or so in the crowd. It was not a very energetic atmosphere. Uh, it's not really an opponent that most people are going to get up for. But, you know, Coach Tedford has done a... I mean, he's been big on preaching one game at a time, you know, not really focusing on who the opponent is, but there is a, a belief or there's kind of a an assumption, I guess, from the fan base that the Bulldogs have played up to their first two opponents and played down to their last two opponents. And there may be some of that there, but I think this team has just been inconsistent more than anything. Um, you know, I think, they left the first two games, obviously, you think, oh, if they just would have made a few more plays, they would have been 2-0. and And then you go through Sacramento State, and you think, oh, if they just would have made some field goals, made a few other plays here, it could have been a huge blowout. And then in this game, there's probably even less of those opportunities, actually, which is maybe most concerning that they only won 30-17. to uh, This was a game where they needed Cropper's 79-yard touchdown and Freeze 91-yard interception return those are plays that the bulldogs haven't had in the last three games but there also weren't a whole lot of missed opportunities uh they cashed in just about every time they got in the scoring position it was just a general struggle for the offense to to get going and the defense had another solid outing but eventually the aggies were able to to get some momentum going late in the game so I mean, you just see parts of this team that look really solid, that are kind of consistent with what you saw last year even at times, and then you see a, a whole lot of this team as well that's just a real work in progress. And they got to get it figured out to get a win against Air Force because that's going to be a tough one. Well, that's going to be a game that uh, whenever you face Air Force, it's always a struggle. Um, you know, it's the type of offense, I, and I've, I've said it before, I'm not a fan of this type of offense. Uh, <laughs> never have been. Um, it it drives me nuts to even watch someone play against this type of offense. Uh, but it is what it is, and it's not an easy one to defend. Um, there's a whole lot of different things going on. They'll give you all kinds of different looks. Um, the one bright spot is that the Fresno State's defense right now is pretty much the the solid the solace part of the team the most solid part of the team is their defense um the offense continues to struggle and until they can get some of those things figured out the defense is going to have to shoulder a lot of what's going on and to do it against an air force team is is a whole lot to ask for especially a, a, a team that really took boise state to the wire in order for Boise State to to actually pull that one out in the end, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a tough task for the Bulldogs, right, Jackson? Yeah, and you know, the the option is a tough one to prepare for. And uh, I went to Clovis East where they were winning Valley Championships with it, so I might have a little more of a favorable <laughs> opinion. Well, yeah, of course, it. of course you would. <laughs> but uh, looking at at the Bulldogs' defense, I think the defense has been really solid and. All, almost on par with last season's uh, the first game didn't go uh, i mean obviously against usc the first couple quarters were pretty rough but 
I mean, they gave up 31 to USC. It probably should have been 24 if they don't give up the kick return, which is not a bad performance. If Jaron Bryant can get that fourth down stop against Minnesota, the Bulldogs walk out with the, I believe it was going to be 28-21 at the time. You only give up 21 to a, a Big Ten team. That's what last year's defense did exactly uh, against Minnesota, so that's not a bad performance either. Um, Minnesota, or Sacramento State, one of their touchdowns was set up by a field goal. That could have been 13 or 14 points pretty easily instead of 20. So there, there's been... The, the margin between the, what the Bulldogs have given up and what they could have given up has been pretty thin. The biggest concern for me on the Bulldogs' defense has been when they're facing passing situations and they rush three and they drop eight back almost religiously, it feels like. Those three don't typically get pressure on the quarterback, and the eight in coverage oftentimes give up a hole where the other team converts. And we saw that on all the third and longs against Minnesota. Uh, and against USC and New Mexico State, those were teams that were just by nature in a lot of four wide receiver sets looking to pass the ball a lot and getting that look against the Bulldog defense. So the the point I'm getting to is that Air Force isn't going to put Fresno State in any situations where they're going to have to drop eight and rush three. This is a game where the Bulldogs need to stuff the box with defenders, uh, stay gap assignment responsible from sideline to sideline and just make sure you don't get beat with that big pass when they do go to it. Uh, that's just going to come down to the safeties, essentially. Um, but I think schematically, the option isn't easy, but I think Fresno State might actually benefit from playing a team that's not going to sling the ball around for once. Um, you know, Fresno State has done a really good job over the past two years of making teams one-dimensional, and that's where they typically thrive the most. And Air Force, by nature, is just kind of one-dimensional. They're just going to run the ball a lot. They're going to do it in a variety of different ways. But I think you know, as long as we haven't seen Fresno State against an offense like this, so you never know for sure. But I think this matchup may favor Fresno State defensively. And then it comes down to the offense, which has struggled, and it's not going to be much easier if Air Force is controlling the ball and running time off the clock. It's going to give Fresno State even less opportunities to get into rhythm. So defensively, I like it. Offensively, uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Yeah, I mean, if the Bulldogs continue to struggle, uh, they're going to have to really, uh, you know, lean heavily on the defense and and slowing down Air Force long enough uh, for the Bulldogs to kind of figure out something that works on offense, uh, which lately hasn't really been too much, uh, especially when you look at, uh, Minnesota and uh, USC, you know, they had to come up with some big plays to stay in those games. Um, in against Minnesota, um, they were only in that game because of a lot of penalties that Minnesota caused. So uh, it's not one of those games where you can rely on uh, outside things to happen because if you do, then Air Force is going to run away with this one, literally. <laughs> run away <laughs> with the ball all the time. So um, it's something that we'll, we'll kind of have to take a wait and see and see what happens as far as how the Bulldogs uh, try and prepare for this one. Uh, hopefully they can they can figure some things out on offense because right now it is, it's been a struggle. Uh, it really has been. But one of the, the key things that, uh, that got corrected uh, was special teams. The kicker finally 
put one through the uprights and was consistent on this, right, Jackson? I mean, he wasn't hitting them. He wasn't pulling them to the right. I mean, he was actually getting them down the middle. Um, something that they probably worked on a lot during this past week, Jackson? Yeah, he went out there, went three for three on field goals, was a, a solid day. And now you're in a, a spot where you don't feel so bad about last week's 0 for 3 day because now he's gone three for three against USC, two for three against Minnesota, uh, and now three for three against New Mexico State. So that one you know, really rough game where he goes 0 for 3 feels like more of an outlier at this point. Um, you know, one of his misses is from 50 plus, I believe another is from 49. So, I mean, he's been called into action a lot. I believe his 12 field goals already in four games is at is the top or it's tied for the most field goal attempts per game in the country, which is a reflection of the offense struggling in the red zone more than anything. But for him to go out there and, you know, he was eight for nine in the, the three games I mentioned, uh, that's pretty impressive. Uh, you just hope that that over three night doesn't creep back and, and haunt you sometime down the road because uh, the field goals, while you know, they did make a difference in this game, that it wasn't a make or break on the win or the loss. So uh, they'll need him down the road, but hopefully it, it doesn't come to that when he has an off night. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they'll get it all. Uh, uh, he he continues to kick him through the uprights because that. Uh, that whole game against uh, Sacramento was it again? Yeah, it was against Sacramento yeah. State. Was pretty rough to see, uh, especially you know when he was pushing him to the right all the time. Uh, it was something on his mechanics that was a little off. Uh, couldn't figure it out why. So it's it's good to see that they got that kind of squared away. Um, but you know it, that's something that they're going to need, especially when they start heading into Mountain West play and. Right now, Jackson, it's that time. It's that time to to you know take us around the Mountain West, so to speak, and really take a look and see what the upcoming opponents are going to be for Fresno State. One of those, Nevada, who not only lost but had a lost a couple of players, key players on their team, and uh, you know what kind of shape are they going to be in moving forward? Yeah, I mean they were that was a game in Reno in the cold, and it was. Uh, a wet one as well with some rain, even snow, where you have visiting Hawaii, who usually is not very comfortable in that environment, uh, coming to Reno against Nevada. Both of those teams were 3-1. and one. Nevada was even favored, and UH just stomped them 54-3. to three. I mean, that was a, an epic domination by the, the Rainbow Warriors. And to add insult to injury, Nevada loses two players for the season from injury. Just saw that report. Uh, pretty recently that those results came in for them. I believe an offensive line and a defensive back. So uh, Nevada is going to have to to really regroup from that one. And even though they're still three and two on the season, they also have a seventy-seven to six loss in their arsenal from uh, their trip to Oregon earlier this year. Uh, some of their wins aren't very impressive. They beat Weaver State by six, UTEP by twenty uh, by sixteen. Uh, really, they had to have kind of a miraculous victory over Purdue to kind of save this season so far, which was their opener. Um, Bulldogs won't see Nevada till late in November, so they've we'll see how the Wolfpack kind of bounce back from that one. But Hawaii definitely looking dangerous, and that's who the Bulldogs are going to see, I believe, in Game Four of conference play. So, and they got to go to the Islands, so that's going to be a, a challenging one. 
uh, probably the game that I was focused on the most just because their next was Air Force. They played a San Jose State team who uh, had just beaten Arkansas, so I was really curious to see if the Spartans were going to build off of that. And uh, Air Force jumped on them even so. Uh, I believe it was 41-10 to 10 at one point Air Force was up, but the Spartans went for it on fourth down a lot, and they did not convert on hardly any of them, I don't believe. So the... I mean, as lopsided as the final of 41-24 was, the Spartans really left a lot of points on the board. And that does make you feel a little bit better going to Air Force, that if they can give up 24 to San Jose, which probably should have been a lot more than that even, uh, maybe Fresno State's offense can get something going too. It's going to be interesting to see just how the the, the West division is going to shake out because it's – it's been all over the place this this season so far. Uh, I mean, you've got you've got San Jose State beating in Arkansas uh, and then struggling against everybody else. I mean, it's uh, it's yeah, and same thing for for San Diego. I mean, they look really good at times and then look really bad at others. So uh, I guess the Bulldogs aren't the only ones struggling to get things going in the West Division. But when you start turning over to the Mountain Division, that's when you kind of start to see uh, the Mountain West, uh, the Mountain Division kind of running away with it a little bit more this season. Right, Jackson? Yeah, I mean, Boise State had a bye this week, but obviously they've been pretty solid. They haven't lost yet. Uh, Utah State, just with one narrow loss at Wake Forest, uh, they had a, a pretty good battle, actually, from Colorado State this week, which they came away victorious with. Um, Wyoming just blew out UNLV. That was a Mountain versus West game. Uh, New Mexico, really the one kind of stinker out there. They lost to Liberty 17-10 to last weekend. But, I mean, the Bulldogs with the West, they have games like UNLV, like Nevada, like San Jose State. Those should be three uh, gettable victories for sure. Um, no, actually, if the Bulldogs, on paper, if they lose to UNLV and Utah State, they can sweep the West Division and probably win the the division and the trip to the Mountain West Championship because everyone in the West is probably going to drop one to some team in the Mountain. Most of them have already. Uh, UNLV to Wyoming, as I mentioned. San Diego State's lost to Utah State. Hawaii's next game is at Boise State, which, as good as the Rainbow Warriors are playing, uh, I would be surprised if they knock off the Broncos on the road. So again, when it comes to tiebreakers, if you take care of business in the, the West Division, you own all the tiebreakers, even if you lose one or even two on the mountainside. And this looks like a year that basically everyone else in the West, if you assume that Fresno State's going to beat them and give them one loss, they're all going to have two, essentially, assuming Hawaii doesn't pull off a shocker at Boise. Yeah, and that's going to be <laughs> – if Hawaii can pull off a shocker at Boise, that's going to be uh, – that's going to help everybody out. But – uh, right now, it's looking more and more like it's going to be between Utah State and um, and Boise once again this season um, for that mountain um, position, the leader of the mountain division. Um, but it's going to be it's it's going to be tough. Uh, Boise is looking pretty solid this year. Uh, of course, ranked really high in the the rankings so far. And do you think that they can they can run the table again, Jackson, and and push for another BCS bowl? You know, I don't think they're as good as they're – I believe they're number 15 right now. I don't think they are actually that good. Watching some of their games, I don't think their offense – I think their offense has dropped off quite a bit. They've got a true freshman quarterback back there who 
I mean, that's making things a little bit difficult for them, but their defense has been tremendous, um, really impressive defense. And, you know, that's just – it makes you susceptible to, to losses if you're relying on low-scoring wins uh, frequently, which they may be doing this year. But I think outside of Utah State, maybe Hawaii – I'm not sure if there's a team in the Mountain West that's going to be able to, to knock them off in the regular season. Um, you know, this is a, a conference that has done much better this season against Power Five teams. Obviously, they've been one of the best conferences in the country, not even the Group of Five, to get wins against Power Five teams. But you look at the, the each individual team, then there, I think the difference between last year to this year is not that great, as mentioned like a Nevada team who beat Purdue. I don't think the Wolfpack are very good, obviously, losing 54-3. to um, Wyoming and San Jose State, they both get a Power 5 win, but they both lose to Tulsa. So I don't think there's a lot of individual team growth in terms of raising to the top of the conference, but I think the, the bottom and the middle of the Mountain West has improved significantly, but... Not quite enough to knock off teams like Boise, like Utah State, maybe not even a Fresno State or a San Diego State if those two teams can get rolling again. Yeah, it uh, it'll be it's gonna be uh, buckle your seatbelts. It's gonna be one of those seasons in the Mountain West this year. <laughs> it's gonna be one of those where uh, it's gonna be one up, one down all the time. I mean, just when you think one team is good, they're horrible. When you think they're horrible, they're good. It's yeah, it's going to be one of those seasons, I can tell already. Uh, but that being said, Jackson, uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for today. Any final thoughts on uh, on anything? Yeah, well, you know, the bye week lets us get a little bit creative. Um, last The last bye week, which was just two weeks ago, um, we did a, a film review uh, story for our premium members that went over really well. So if you want to check out what happened over the last two games from a second look with – Without the emotions and the live reactions, I'm going to be digging deep into those uh, last two games and trying to identify what went right, what went wrong, what were the things that got missed at the time, um, what were some things that almost happened that didn't quite happen because of some different variables on the play. So uh, we'll definitely be looking to, to bring a, a deep dive and some inside looks into what happened there. And we'll also be catching up a bit on recruiting this week. Uh, so we mentioned in last week's podcast, a lot of visitors were in Bulldog Stadium last weekend, uh, two weekends ago for Sacramento State. So we'll be trying to catch up with some of those guys and getting an idea of where the Bulldogs stand recruiting-wise. Yeah, well, it sounds good. So we'll have plenty of coverage. If you haven't done so already, head over to the Bark Board, uh, get your premium subscription, get all of that the latest premium information that we don't necessarily um, have access to uh, to the general public. Uh, but you will not be disappointed. So if you're looking for Jackson, you can find him on Twitter at JacksonMoore247. You can find me on Twitter at RedWaveReport. Look over at our Facebook page become, uh, and give it a like, or you can simply go over to our boards and find us there as well. That being said, I want to thank everyone for joining us and, and join us again next week as we continue the ongoing coverage of Fresno State Athletics. <laughs>